is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, February 23rd, 2024, and today will be better than yesterday. Sean Bartley is working from California from the crack of dawn, and I'm Buster Only. Today, we will have team previews of the Tampa Bay Rays and the Atlanta Braves, talking with beat writers that cover those teams, Mark Topkin and Mark Bowman. Sarah Langs will join us to play the numbers game, and Eduardo Perez, Sean, is getting warmed up out in Arizona uh, we got done taping with him a little while ago. Man, he was fired up. Could you see the joy in him today? Absolutely. He's This is like his Christmas, man. He is ready for spring training. He's ready for uh, the opening pitch. He's just ready for the new season. Yeah, and he's got a lot of uh, insight, uh, not only about the Dodgers, but also about the big news that broke out of Mets camp today. Oh, excuse me, on Thursday. Kodai Senga of the Mets was shut down because of a right shoulder, moderate capsule strain. He is out indefinitely. Uh, I've got some thoughts about this because Senga, you know, in a rotation which is pretty thin, incredibly important to the Mets, but the Mets have no idea at this point when he's going to be able to return. The Pittsburgh Pirates signed Mitch Keller to a five-year, $77 million contract. Ben Charrington, the head of baseball operations for the Pirates, trying to build something more sustainable there in Pittsburgh. On Thursday, we got word that Tim Anderson has agreed to a one-year, $5 million deal with the Marlins. Uh, This is someone who has been an all-star in the past. And going into 23, I don't think there was any doubt in the sport that he was going to be retained by the White Sox, but he has struggled in recent years. And so this is uh, an important year and an important contract for Anderson to sort of reestablish himself as a, a plus everyday player in the big leagues. The Dodgers' Shohei Otani took some live batting practice this week, and he's told reporters that he's looking for about 50 preseason at-bats or so. He says he's feeling good, uh, seeing the ball well at the plate, and he told reporters that elbow-wise, there's nothing new. Of course, Otani will not be able to pitch in 2024. Dave Roberts, the Dodgers' manager, acknowledged out loud what I think everyone sort of assumed, that Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Tyler Glass now will start the Dodgers' first two games of this season. Sarah Langs has a great note about that coming up. The Brewers signed free agent catcher Gary Sanchez to a one-year contract with a base salary of $3 million, an opportunity to earn some incentives. Hunjin Ryu's career in Major League Baseball is apparently over. He signed an eight-year contract with the Hanwha Eagles to go back to South Korea. Gleyber Torres spoke with the reporters uh, on Wednesday, and he told reporters that he wants to be a Yankee for life. And we got word on Wednesday that Eric Hosmer, the longtime first baseman of the Kansas City Royals, a mainstay when they won the World Series in 2015, has decided to retire at age 34. Sean, what else you got? I want to tell everyone to please go check out the College Game Day podcast. Um, one of our hosts, Pete Daniel, had a pretty dope interview with Boston College new head coach Bill O'Brien. So be sure to check that out wherever you get your podcast. Eduardo Perez is an analyst on Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, our season is kicking off. Uh, Eduardo is going to be part of the broadcast team that's going to go to Korea to do the Dodgers versus the Padres game that uh, are, will be played in about a month. But at the moment, Eduardo, you, you have, like, where you're sitting right now, such a special place. I mean, it really, it, it you know, tells you, you know, what a high-end personality you are at ESPN. 
that you, uh, you know, they they made a, a special place for you to take this podcast today. Yeah, a real special place. So I'm in, uh, I'm in the car right now, and this is the beauty of spring training, right? You get in the car early, you try to beat traffic, but at the same time, you still want to be a part of the Baseball Tonight podcast. You still want to be there when the clubhouse is open, and you just want to be able to get to the players as soon as they arrive at the ballpark so you can get your stuff and you can go to another camp. And right now I'm in Arizona, so it's 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 a wonderful time. And next week I'll be in Florida. It's it's great. This is my favorite time of the year, Buster. Nice. But you're in a parking lot in a CBS, right? Okay, okay. So <laughs> I try not to say that because all of my Walgreens friends would be upset. But, yes, I'm in a CBS parking lot. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, all right. So the Dodgers, of course, are going to be the talk of baseball this year. Um, they've been, you know, one of the, the teams that we focused on in recent years with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, how different does it feel like the Dodgers are going to be with Shohei Otani around the team? I think it's going to be exciting. And I think it's going to change a little bit of the Dodger culture as far as arriving to the ballpark a little bit late. You don't want to miss the bottom of the first inning. And I, I think Mike Petriello had a great article. Uh, about the protection that Shohei Otani is going to get if he is slated in the number three spot and the opportunities he's going to have, not because of the hitters behind him, but because of the on-base percentage that's in front of him. And I think Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman uh, understand what their roles are. Mookie didn't steal that many bases last year, but I think that was on purpose. I think it was because they valued the, the ability to be able to drive in runs. Even Mookie, such a great base runner, can score from first base, and he did that a lot last year. Um, it's going to be dynamic. It's going to be fun. It's Mookie at second base the entire season, but it's going to be Shohei Otani's show this year. Every time he gets his fourth or fifth at bat in a game, um, it's it's uh, it's going to be really interesting. It reminds me a lot, if you look at the Dodgers lineup from top to bottom, almost like a Cincinnati Reds big red machine type lineup. Yeah. Where you have, where, where you have each position – is specialized for for a certain point. And from Smith behind the plate, you can really visualize a, a type of Johnny Bench type player where he can hit in the middle of the lineup as a catcher. Uh, obviously, they didn't have the DH, and that's where Shohei Otani falls in. But still, Freeman, Betts, it's like Morgan, Perez. It's, it, you know, you look at Muncie uh, and Lux. You look at if it's Rose and Concepcion, and then the outfield dynamic with Tosca Hernandez out there. You could see him sort of like a, a George Foster uh, guy. And then and then you got Cesar Geronimo, where you can have Altman in center field, left-handed bat as that bottom-of-the-order guy because of the depth that they have in the lineup. And then in right field, it's the defense, just like Griffey had, where they're going to have as well in um, with Hayward in right field. So tell me, if you were making out the lineup, how would you arrange the the top three hitters in the lineup? Because I must say, when they first signed Otani, I assumed, because he'd hit second a lot for the Angels, uh, that they were going to go Betts, Otani, Freeman. But in the end, you know, uh, Dave Roberts is uh, going another direction. What was your – how would you do it, and what's your reaction to how they're going to do it? I love the way that Dave Roberts is talking about it. I, I think that Shohei Otani should hit third. I, uh, you look at his opportunities with the Angels uh, that he had with runners on base, and they were great. His numbers were great. He was getting protection there. He doesn't miss pitches in the zone, and they have to attack, especially with the high on-base percentage 
that Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman have last year. Those guys are top five in on-base percentage in Major League Baseball. And if you can get those on-base percentage guys up at the plate for Shohei Otani, the opportunities were great for Smith last year, and he produced last year. But Otani produces at a higher rate. That means they're going to score and have more opportunities to, to score runs. And that's why I like it, especially for the Dodgers, where there's still uncertainty when it comes to their pitching throughout the season, when it comes to health. One thing that we all wondered about when he signed with the Dodgers was what are the expectations going to be for him in terms of dealing with the media, in terms of making appearances for the team, sponsorships, that sort of thing. It's just an early impression, but my sense is so far, Eduardo, he's doing more media than he was doing with the Angels. Tell me about uh, yeah. your, your first perception on, uh, on that, because that's a big deal within a clubhouse. You're absolutely right. Um, he's being more, he's been more accessible. I saw that when they were doing their pictures and every major league team does their picture day early when they arrived, they were in line and it was Shohei right behind Teoscar Hernandez and Teoscar went live and, uh, he recorded a bit and he was teaching him some Spanish words and Shohei pronounced it beautifully in Spanish, no accent whatsoever. It was done to perfection. And let's not forget, for those that do not know, um, the Japanese language, because of the vowels and the syllables and the vowels where they go, it's easier for me to at least think in Spanish when I'm thinking to try to say something in Japanese. So the Japanese player has always been able to catch on really fast to the Spanish language. And um, Shohei has been accessible to that, where we never really saw that side of him with the Angels. And he's embracing it. Obviously, there's job security now. And obviously, he doesn't have to worry about his pitching side for this year. So there's a lot more free time for Shohei to be able to show that personality to the fans. Yeah, and we'll give a listen to that sound right now. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Dodgers. Buenos dias. Fanáticos. Fanáticos? Sí, fanáticos. Fans. Fanáticos? Fanáticos. Buenos dias, fanáticos. Sí. Llama. Hey. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. There you go. So how big of a deal is it going to be if you're a member of the Dodgers and you have this kind of media crunch all year? Because they are the Chicago Bulls. You know what the Bulls were to the NBA in the mid-90s. That's what the, the Dodgers will be dealing with this year. I think it might even be a little bit bigger because you have those two international superstars there. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, you're looking at the projection of them going out and Shohei being able to play in Korea to open up the season. We'll be televising that on ESPN, but it's, it's only an hour and an hour and 25 minute flight from Tokyo to Seoul, Korea. So there are going to be a lot of people jumping on that flight to go see their heroes, to go see their superstars. And the trick to all of this is Buster. It's only a stadium that holds 16,000 people. I think it's going to be a really interesting ticket an interesting sell. And to be able to see those superstars there, uh, it's it's going to be interesting. But you're right. This is a must-watch team uh, this year. And I think for the foreseeable future with the signings and for the good of baseball, for the good of us, the baseball fans, just stay healthy. Stay healthy, get better. So next year we can see the two-star sport athlete that Shohei Otani is. But for this year, it's going to be an interesting dynamic that Dave Roberts, I think the most pressure, of all is on Dave Roberts because it's a oh no doubt you have to win 
you have to win this year. Uh, he has to be the Phil Jackson of the Dodgers. Yeah, uh, which is why it's amazing. And I thought about this, that the enormous managerial shakeup that could happen after this year uh, cannot be uh, cannot be understated. And we'll get into that on another podcast uh, as we move forward. I want to uh, get your first impression, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. It's interesting. Uh, in the aftermath of him signing, I reached out to some of the teams that were involved. And I said, OK, now that uh, this is resolved, what's your sense of what he's going to be right away? And it surprised me because you figure he's getting $325 million. And I was assuming he's looked at as an ace from the day he arrives. But what I got back from a lot of folks with other teams is they think, well, he's probably going to be more like a middle of the rotation guy at the beginning and then get better as he uh, makes his adjustments. Uh, And the reason why he got such a big contract, because he's dynamic with his stuff, but also because he's so young. But at the beginning, they're kind of lowering their expectations are not as high as that contract might make you think. What are your first impressions? I think he's going to be dynamic from day one. I think they know that he is a number one. They paid him like a number one buster because it just ball don't lie. And we saw <laughs> we saw what he does, what he did in Japan, what he did under pressure in big moments. We saw what he did in the World Baseball Classic. I think this kid is going to dominate from day one. And will he have a bad outing or two? Absolutely. It's part of the game. But the biggest adjustment that I would see is being that every fifth day starter. And the Dodgers are going to take it easy on these guys. They're going to most likely go every sixth day because they have to limit class and house pitches. They have to be able to uh, incorporate Walker Bueller at some point in the season. And with their young pitching staff that they have as well, they have to protect those arms, and they're going to protect uh, Yamamoto's arm as well. So, look, every sixth day, this guy is going to be the best pitcher on the mound. I really, truly believe that on every given night that he takes that bump. If I were to give you the Dodgers or the field, would you take the Dodgers to win the World Series, or would you take the field? The field. I'll take the field. Uh, it's it's hard to win the World Series. Yep. If you tell me – if you tell me uh, – do you take the Dodgers to win the division? I'm taking the Dodgers to win the division. If you tell me the Dodgers to get to the World Series, I could see that. But to win the World Series, we have seen year after year how the unforeseeable comes through. Last year, did you ever picture that we were going to be in October in Arizona and in Texas? I did <laughs> no, not. No chance. Too many variables in this game of in this beautiful game of baseball. Yeah. Exactly. All right. And you've spent your lifetime in baseball, which is why I'm sure you have strong feelings about the uniform conversation that's going on around baseball. A lot of players griping uh, and photo day. That seemed to be the the first moment that revealed, so to speak, the fact that, uh, you know, the pants can be transparent in the right light. Uh, tell me what you're hearing from players. Tell me what uh, your impressions are. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of adjustments are going to be have to made by the player, by the players, right? Technology seems to be getting better and better, and some, uh, you know, we forget about, you know, the customization. I think a lot of players have had inputs for years on how they want their pants, how they want their tops, and I think this is going to be interesting. And it's it's a unnecessary distraction for some players. Technology has definitely gotten better. The uniforms have gotten lighter. That's what the players have wanted. Um, but the pants, let's try to at least keep them invisible to the underwear area. Uh, but we're about to, to, to see what happens. And let's not forget when it starts getting warm out there, the sweat 
Do you think it's, it looks see-through now? Wait until the summer. Boys <laughs> of summer, they'll be out. Now, the other thing I'm, I'm going to incorporate in all of this is the MLB logo, the Batman, that's usually up by the collar. That was brought down. And because it was brought down, the names have been brought down. And because the names have been brought down, the brand also has been brought down of the team. Um, and that's a decision that really wasn't made by Nike or um, or the or the you know the players or the teams. It was made by Major League Baseball, and that's the part that we have to understand. Um, look, you want to get that brand out there. You want to be able to showcase it. You want it a little bit bigger. These are the sacrifices that are having or that have to be made. And at the end of the day, baseball players, just like you and I, we adapt to change, but it takes us a little bit longer. And uh, once we do, they'll understand and they'll move on. And Eduardo, I always feel like that it's situations like this where the fact that baseball doesn't have central authority in the way that I think they do in the NFL is really borne out. Uh, where, I mean, we have Tony Clark, the head of the Player Association. He's complaining about the uniforms. The players are complaining about the uniforms. Rob Manfred's saying that in time he thinks that uh, everyone will grow to like the uniforms. It's clear they have a problem. It's clear they have a problem, and you wish, especially with the transparency of the pants, you wish that the baseball would have a situation where it'd be like, you know what, fix this. Uh, we, we're getting our feedback fix this now. And that doesn't happen in baseball. Everyone complains about it and then it takes a while to fix. Yeah. So this is, and you're absolutely right. I think the transparency is an issue. The, I think the bigger issue is going to happen once the real game uniforms show up in their lockers open yeah. day. Because the pants where every player has had it, and I remember every year I was in the big leagues, we used to be customized. It used to be majestic. Then Nike took over with Fanatics, and they continued to measure the pants, the thigh, the length of the pant, the inseam. Now, sometimes for pitchers, you have the left leg that's, uh, if you're a right-handed pitcher, is one inch longer than the, right, uh, than the right leg. Why? Because that's the kick leg, and they wanted it to look uniform as far as when they're on the field, and it's a field thing. Now, they're not going to be customized. They're semi-customized. And a lot of players are going to have issues with that. I'll mark my words, Buster. Opening day, you're going to hear one or two or three or 20 quotes, uh, quotes of players saying, I have problems with the pants more yeah. than the top. That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to me. It's, again, one of those situations where you're like, man, would someone step in and lead and get this sport to where people want it to be? I don't get it. Anyway. All right, uh, before we go, one more. Give me 30 seconds on how big of a deal for the Mets that there's some uncertainty around Kodai Senga. I think it's a big deal. Uh, look, he had, a, he had a wonderful year last year. He was the most consistent pitcher last year. But these were the concerns that teams had with Kodai Senga and the reports uh, leading up to this. And, you know, you hope that it's just dead arm, and we've seen a lot of it uh, during spring training with pitchers. My concern is, how early we're seeing the de uh, the dead yes. arm? Uh, did, did did he ramp it up a little too early? Uh, was he because last year he didn't participate in the World Baseball Classic? He stayed back. Uh, he stayed in Port St. Lucie. He wanted to get to know his teammates, and and he did. This year we're going to find out if he and how long are they going to be able to shut him down for, and what type of program they're going to get him on to be able to use him and maximize him as much as possible. But 
The Mets need them. If they don't, this is this could be a fourth place team in the division. Eduardo, thanks for doing this. You got it. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Baseball Tonight 2024 Team Preview Atlanta Braves With a lot of the Braves core locked into long-term contracts, Braves head of baseball operations Alex Anthopoulos Work to round out the roster, gambling on the high ceiling of 24-year-old Jared Kelnick in a deal with the Mariners, and adding relievers Aaron Bummer, Angel Berdomo, and Ray Kerr. But the big move was for veteran lefty Chris Sale. A guy to watch. Sale has thrown a total of 161 innings over his last four injury-plagued seasons, but the Braves acquired him for Boston in a winter deal because they believe he's healthy. And they backed up that perspective by signing Sale to a contract extension. In 102 and two-thirds innings last year, Sale struck out 125 and walked 29. He'll turn 35 as the season begins. And with Max Fried and Charlie Morton under contract for just 2024, the Braves need Sale to be productive this year and into the future. The Foundation. The Atlanta roster is loaded with stars. From third baseman Austin Riley to center fielder Michael Harris, to Cy Young candidate Spencer Strider. But in 2024, a year in which Shohei Otani will not pitch, Ronald Acuna Jr. could be the game's best player. And some peers believe he's getting better and better. Last year, he led the majors in hits, runs, on base percentage, stolen bases, with the highest adjusted OPS of his career. His rate of contact improved dramatically last season. He just turned 26 years old. Win projection. Strider and others on the team came into camp believing the Braves were the best team last year before their quick postseason exit. And even with the presence of the Dodgers, the Phillies, and other good teams, they seem to view this season as championship or bust. Hembo pegs 100 wins for Atlanta, I've got the Braves at 102 wins. Mark Bowman covers the Atlanta Braves for MLB.com. And Mark, uh, you just got, came off the field having watched Spencer Strider throw some live batting practice. Uh, he he made a little bit of news early in camp because he arrived and, and he did not shy away from the notion that it's kind of when the World Series are bust. Like the standard, it, high, it was set very high by him right from the get-go after the disappointing uh, finish to last season. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? You actually saw that right after game 
four. Uh, there, he, you know, he started game four there in Philadelphia. They lost. He pitched well. You saw the disappointment uh, in his eyes, but also you heard the determination that things are going to change. There's been two disappointing finishes to 100 wins, consecutive 100 win seasons, and you, you saw this this young pitcher that this guy who was at Clemson just a few years ago. He's got, you know, last year was the end of his third professional season. You saw. So he had that that feel of a leader, but but you could see that he was going to, you know, he was going to be one of those guys that was going to be vocal. Um, I'm not saying that there's going to be wholesale changes, but maybe just a mindset change. And I, part of that is a lot of times you came into a season, they see you know, people say, the goal is to win a division. We'll see what happens after that. You get a postseason, anything can happen. I think this team coming off these past two years is that, hey, look, now, Winning the division is not going to be enough. We we have to set our uh, goal for them to you know win the World Series. Anything less than that is uh, going to be a disappointment. So the Boston Red Sox had Chris Sale for six years. They uh, presumably were more familiar with his medical information than any other team in baseball, and they wind up eating a lot of money to dump him to the Atlanta Braves. And I know the Braves are convinced. He's healthy after he threw what, like 140 innings over the last five years. Tell me about what they know, what they feel they know. Well, I think they are rolling the dice on pos. You know that there was some bad luck involved here. Okay, so you've got you've got Tommy John surgery, which knocks out 2020 and a good bit of 2021. You've got 2022 where you've got him throwing live BP. That that's you know that's not necessarily that's. That's preparation for a season. So I don't know if I want to call that, you know, uh, misfortune, just completely misfortune. Okay, there's a comebacker that gets a finger. That's a little more time. He falls off a bike. I get it. That's, you know, yeah, that's some bad luck. Um, you know, last year there was a shoulder. So you're looking at some of this uh, four-year or four-season stretch as being uh, bad luck. They, they, they still see something there. Um, their biggest challenge you know, if there, if Chris Sale does have the ability to be effective in October, he is going to have to be – his workload is going to have to be significantly uh, – they're going to have to manage that very tightly over the, the six months of the regular season. Um, how do you do that? Do you, do, you, do you have him go three and four and five innings during his early season starts? Do you, you know, are you – you're obviously taking advantage of any time to give him extra rest. Um he threw 102 innings last year. How many total innings can he throw this year to where you've got – look, you, you're not you're not preparing to pitch in the division series. If, if you want him there in your postseason to make a difference, you're, you've got to be prepared for him to throw 20 to 25 innings. So at what point in time when you get to the end of September, beginning of October there, is he still available to give you 20 to 25 more quality innings? So how they manage him throughout the season is going to be very interesting. So let's fast forward to the end of the season in addressing maybe the biggest question, off-season, off-field question that hangs over the team, what's the future of Max Freed, who's a free agent at years? And I've, when I've done radio in Atlanta, I've said, he, he's gone. Like, the one thing we've seen with Alex Anthopoulos is he doesn't like to pay sticker price for players. Max Freed has been one of the best left-handers in baseball, a Cy Young candidate, and he's going to get paid sticker price. It feels like that oh, there's yeah. no way that he stays with them long term unless unless Max basically go to the Braves and says, "Look, I want to work it out and stay here." What do you think? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think so. And, I, you know, I think there's, um, you know, go, going back to last year, I, you know, I forget exactly what the story was, probably something with his arbitration case or maybe just a regular spring training story, but I'm just trying to project where's that value? Well, what, what's Max Freed going to get when he becomes a free agent? And the agent, who I respect, you know, as much as any other, said it doesn't matter what the Braves offer. He's, he's not, you know, it's, it's, let's not even talk about the Braves. It, um, you know, uh, so, I, yeah, there's doubt throughout the industry that he returns. I, I think that, you know, what, what you say, I completely agree with. If Max has a great year this year, he's going to be a 30-year-old plus pitcher making $30-plus million a year. Um, you know, entering that um, – we know that Alex Anthopoulos is not going to do that. Um, if he, if he had, you know, the, the left forearm becomes a problem again this year in your entering free agency, then there's obviously, you know, some, some concerns about his health moving forward. And, you know, any way you cut it, I see this as his last season in Atlanta. Uh, that's why, you know, the Braves, that's part of the reason they went and took a chance not only on sale for this year, but, um, you know, gave him that extra year because they do not know exactly how that rotation is going to look beyond next year when you, you have to assume that uh, both Max Freed and Charlie Morton are gone. And by the way, it's totally Max's prerogative to go, and it feels like a situation where if he does go, it'll be good feelings on both sides. Like, it'll it'll end well, and, and they'll understand. Yes? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, the, the Freddie Freeman and Danby Swanson uh, – Experiences that kind of prepared Braves fans for this. You know, I think they, they're, they're, yeah, but, but yeah, I think Max will always be a World Series hero. He'll always be a postseason hero. They'll, yep. they'll, he'll be, he and Ozzy Albies will be recognized as those guys who went right through the rebuild and, you know, they were there in the end of 2017 and, 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 and for integral uh, parts of that transition to end the winners. Yeah, I think Max will always be loved in Atlanta. There will not be any hard feelings. Um, you know, I think the, the assumption is always going to be he'll end up wearing Dodger blue at some point in time. I don't, you know, it just, uh, you know, it's a chance for him to go home and, and be part of, uh, you know, the team he, he, he uh, watched while he was growing up. Jared Kelnick, to me, is one of the great X factors in baseball this year because you don't know exactly what he's going to bring. Privately, what are the Braves' expectations for him? Well, I, I think that they're – they know that he has that potential to hit 20-plus homers. I think if you look at Jared Kelnick, you're saying, hey, we're going to get better defense out of him. Uh, the Braves are saying they're going to get better defense out of him in left field than they have from Eddie Rosario. Now, can they also get a guy who hits 20-plus homers? No doubt. I mean, that, that's there's, he was on pace for that last year, even though like, he started off pretty hot, cooled down, kicks the cooler, breaks his foot. He still, even – even though he had cooled down, he was still showing he could be a guy that he can hit 20-plus homers at the big league level. Sitting in the seventh, eighth, ninth spot, wherever he is in this great lineup, there is not going to be a lot of pressure on him. Um, and I, I think that just being around, um, you know, a lot of great hitters and, and just kind of being in this new environment where he can – there's not going to be a lot of pressure on him. I mean, yeah, he's the new guy. There will be some eyes on him, but – People are coming to the ballpark still to see plenty of other guys, Acuna and, and Riley and Olsen. You know, this is a team full of uh, uh, plenty of other uh, stars. So I, I think this is going to be a good fit for him. You, you, you see the tremendous talent with Jared. Uh, the strikeout totals are 
are learning. It's part, you know, it's, I get it. It's part of today's game. If, if they're higher than usual, if they can, if if they can have him reduce his strikeout, you know, rate just like they did with Ronald last year, Marcel Azuna, and Matt Olson, they all were able to uh, improve significantly in that department. Um, if they can, some of that teaching helps Kelly, then he'll be on the right uh, path as well. Yeah, he'll be able to work in the shadows for sure. Uh, we have arguably the best player in baseball now, Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, is part of your roster. Uh, I wonder, and I'm sure you thought about this when you got the news about some of the the, the coaching changes last fall. Uh, I, I wonder about the impact of the departure of Ron Washington, third base coach, and Eric Young, the first base coach, because on a day-in and day-out basis, on a sport that they have to go to work every single day, it really felt like those two guys were a hugely important part of the culture, of the fabric, of the fun that team played. What could be the impact of, of their their not being there on a day in day out basis? No, I, it's 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 big to to lose a guy like Ron Walker, the guy who brought all the energy, the guy who was out there seven thirty in the morning here at spring training every day, the guy who was you know if you got to the ballpark at two or two thirty and you want to take grounders, he was out there with you. He was out there. There are so many different ways that you can praise Ron Walker. My my most recent one from last year was I got there and. 2 o'clock, 2.30 one day, and all of a sudden, he's out there hitting grounders to Luke Williams. I mean, he's giving time to a guy who is never going to play, you know, the rest of that season. He hadn't played. You don't even know what – but if you wanted help, even if you brought – you know, you you brought a friend to work, I think Wash would have helped you. You know, (laughs) he he wasn't going out there to work with anyone, but the, the amount of work that he did with guys like that, the amount of time he put in with Vaughn Grissom the year before was incredible. I mean, every day when Vaughn came up there that year to play second base, Wash is out there at 2, 2.30, hitting him grounders, talking to him, you know, and then to, have it, to spend three weeks with him last year um, there in New Orleans to, you know. I think any scout across the game said, there's no way this guy's a shortstop. But you know what? Wash said, you know, Whatever, I want to see what I can do. I want to. I want to work with this kid. Hey, his passion for the game and for making people better—you can't match it. Um, you know, they've got great guy and Matt uh, Tuiasopo here. You know, he says I'm going to try and continue what Boss did. You know, you got Walt Weiss who's who's going to work with the infielders. All that. These are great guys who who can bring a lot to the table. But it it, it is hard for any of us. To match the energy of a seventy-five-year-old man who just—I, you know, wash. I wish him nothing but the best. I'm so glad to have met him, and I—I, and I, Buster, I told this story a few times. It was the end of the 2017 season. None of us knew what was coming the next day with with MLB with the sanctions that got rid of you know that, that ended the uh, the reign of John Coppola and John Hart. And I'm sitting there. We all know that they want to fire. Brian Snicker and I said to to Wash, who's you know the favorite to to uh, take over. I said, "What do you think is going to happen?" He sitting there at the bottom of the stairs there at Marlins Park, and he said, "That man right there." He pointed to, to Brian Snicker. He said, "He deserves that job." And you know, it just told me a lot about Wash. He, you know, no doubt he's always wanted to be a manager, but he had spent a whole a year here. He grew to really respect what Snit had done. He said that man deserves that job, and it, it just meant so much to 
it, it told me so much about who Ron Washington was, not only at that moment, but in the years that followed where, you know, he continued to, uh, he wasn't the manager, but he was as influential as anybody. And, and he was fine with that as long as he was with, with the winner. And he was able to see guys like Ozzy Albies and, and others just grow into the kind of players that they have. All right, Mark, I uh, will see you in, uh, in camp in a couple of weeks. That sounds good. Safe travels. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs is a reporter and producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Buster. There's baseball on TV today. There's no way not to be great. Yeah, you're doing great. Kodai Senga is not doing so great. Uh, you know, we'll see what direction this takes going forward. But I was thinking about it this morning. You know, to me, when you look at the Mets rotation and how relatively thin it is, and they're trying to find ways to, you know, bolster the depth within that organization. Uh, Sanga might be as important to any team as as any player in baseball because of what he represents to me in in that rotation and represents to that team. I was trying to think of other players who are maybe comparable to their in their importance to their teams. You know whether it's an Aaron Judge. Uh, you know uh, whether it's uh, you know somebody like Corbin Carroll with the Arizona Diamondbacks. But man. When I saw this news about the the arm fatigue, the initial report, I, I was thinking that this is a huge deal for them. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, it's really a tough blow. He was going to be leading in that rotation, the unquestionable ace on that staff. And there are some interesting storylines on that team with Severino, with Sean Manaya, with Adrian Hauser. But there's a clear difference between the expectation and experience, even though it's one season, experience of success for Sega compared to those other pitchers. So that's really, really tough love. Um, 
I mean, whether we're all picking last week to postseason, not exactly. I mean, you heard my wins prediction the other day, but if they're going to have any chance to add something like that, it comes with another really, really stellar season from Senga. So this puts them in a really tough spot. Yeah, and he's someone who, in his last, I think his last 25 starts last year, had an ERA of about 2.5. He got so much respect around the game, uh, but I can tell you that before he signed with the Mets, there was a ton of concern among teams interested in him about the long-term health of his arm. They saw enough red flags and, and whatever information they had where they wondered if he'd be able to stay healthy. And so, boy, something worth uh, something worth watching as uh, we you know watch the Mets going forward. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is one. So Dave Roberts said the other day that Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Tyler Glass now will probably make the two starts in Korea for the team. So obviously the first game of those two was opening day for the Dodgers. And if Yamamoto were to start that first game, he would be the first pitcher to make his MLB debut as an opening day starter. Since Al Gerhauser in 1943. Jeez. Only two other guys in the live ball era, which goes back to 1920, have done it. Jim Bagby in 1938 and Lefty Grove in 1925. Now, obviously, he is a professional pitcher, a proven pitcher. I was surprised to see that no other pitcher would come over from Japan or Ryu from Korea had done this because they were always on team where there was another ace, there was another pitch, so there was a reason they weren't starting opening day. So if he does pitch that first game, it'd be pretty, pretty historic. Number two. Number two is 54. So I asked the other day to make a pick for a dark horse to lead the majors in strikeouts. And there were all these qualifications couldn't have had a 200 strikeout season lately, all these other things. And so the dark horse I came up with was Hunter Green because we know the swing and missing as we know how hard he throws. And the 54 is for his 54 strikeouts, at least 100 miles an hour in his career. He debuted in 2022. His 5,400-mile-hour strikeouts are the most by any starter since pitch tracking began in 2008. That's why if I was picking someone with the outside job, I thought he could be a really fun pick to do that if he stays healthy. And number one. Number one is 171. That's the way to run to a plus number that one Soto is projected to have for Fangra which is projected to lean the major. That means he's projected to be, yet again, the best pure hitter in baseball. So he's already had five qualified seasons in his career with at least a 140 WRC+. And, of course, he just turned 25, so having six years at least at 140 through the 25 season will be tied for the most with Mike Trout, Mickey Mel, Mel Ott, and Ty Cobb. 
And just a reminder, as we see all these videos, it's sort of shuffling out of me. You can't, I feel like I saw five videos of that yesterday. <laughs> There's a reason he's doing that. And it's because he is the best young hitter, best pure hitter we've seen in a really long time. So he's allowed to do that. Yeah, a few follow-ups on that. First off, on the on the on you know the the good bet potentially to a lead in strikeouts being Hunter Green. You're saying something because Spencer Strider it would seem to me to be the 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 clear favorite on paper. Yes, and it's not only Sarah, as you know, it's not only about you know the ability of the player, but there's also the question of where the team is. And where the player is with his contract, I'll give you an example. I think Tyler Glasnow would be an interesting person for that prop. But you know and I know, the Dodgers are not going to wear him out innings-wise. Like, he's not a guy who's going to come close to pitching 200 innings. They'll pull back the reins a little bit because their probably internal feeling is, hey, we're going to make the postseason. We want to make sure that he's fresh. Uh, you know, And Spencer Strider has signed to a long-term deal. He's going to pitch a ton. And you know his personality. He's going to want to pitch a ton. So that he, he'd he be a tough guy to beat with that number, yeah? Oh, absolutely. And again, this was a dark horse pick. That's why I picked Graham. We had to pick a guy who hadn't had 200 strikeouts in Graham and hadn't reached a lot of other uh, plateaus. I also made a favorite pick, my favorite pick, because I got to the Google Doc first to make my pick. What's Spencer Shrine? Yeah. Yeah, no question about it. Um, and then watching that video of Soto and Judge yesterday, I really felt like it was, you know, the some of the first indications we have of how much Aaron Judge's presence is going to help Juan Soto. Look, we all heard the stories last year that Manny and Juan Soto were not necessarily close. I, I just I've got to know Aaron Judge through the years, and I, I think that relationship is going to be solid, and I think Judge is – going to really help him out you know in moments if he has a tough time you know dealing with the media he's going to give him advice and I think that's going to help relax Soto does that make sense to you absolutely I mean I know in spring training I know it was an interest log game but he could not have looked more relaxed in all of those videos and photos always smiling always next to Judge so it's really really cool seeing him I mean, Soto also helps Judge in a way, not just in the lineup, but I think by helping take some of that pressure off of, you know, every time they're on the field, it's every fan going, Judge, Judge, Judge. I think now it'll be a bit split. So they help each other in really, really good ways. Yep. And lastly, uh, we got word yesterday that Eric Hosmer is retiring. Tell me uh, a memory that's going to stick with you about Haas. I mean, really, I just think of 2014, 2015, watching all of those World Series games, seeing him in the postseason, back-to-back years. So, I mean, I'll think of that. Certainly, I think of Game 5 of the 2015 World Series being there. But overall, just thinking of his presence on a championship team and a pennant-winning team. Yeah, he, he had a presence about him when he played, a confidence level that I thought rubbed off on other players. Uh, and you could feel that right when he joined the Royals. Like he was a guy very comfortable being on that team. I, I think it's a surprise that, uh, you know, his career didn't go longer, um, you know, at a, at a time when the sport began to value hitting the ball in the air. He had some issues getting, you know, hitting a lot of ground balls. 
But, you know, what a career for uh, for Eric Cosmer. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Baseball Tonight, 2024 team preview, Tampa Bay Rays, Machinations. As always, the Tampa Bay Rays are coping with major changes. With Tyler Glass now, value still high, they swapped the right-hander to the Dodgers for pitcher Ryan Pepio and outfielder Johnny DeLuca. And they swapped Luke Rayleigh to Seattle for Jose Caballero. But the most significant change might be the indefinite status of shortstop Wander Franco. He was signed to be the face of the franchise, and instead, he's under investigation by authorities in the Dominican Republic, and whenever that is settled, if it's ever resolved, then he faces a Major League Baseball suspension. A guy to watch. Weeks after Franco was taken off the field last year, Junior Caminera was promoted to the big leagues and got in his first games. The 20-year-old infielder is regarded as one of the best young players in the big leagues, ranking just below the Orioles' Jackson Holiday. And the Rays need him to be productive right away to help make up for the loss of Franco's production. The Foundation. The Rays usually build around a couple of veterans. And with Glasnow gone and Shane McClanahan out indefinitely following Tommy John surgery, Zach Eflin will be the steady plow horse of the rotation someone capable of throwing 180 to 200 innings and pitching at an all-star level. Win projection. Sarah Langs has them at 88 wins. Hembo says 86 wins for Tampa Bay. I've got them at 87. Mark Topkin covers the Tampa Bay Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. There's never been a time when that wasn't the case, right, Mark? Yeah, even uh, before they were the Tampa Bay Rays, before they were even born, I was covering them. So it, it has been a good run. When was your first story? Uh, what year was your first story on this? Fra- I mean, even before they were granted a franchise. Yeah, I mean, I started on the pursuit of a team in 87. And I've been at the Tampa Bay oh Times. Oh, my God. So, so I, I literally have been there from the start. This was uh, the first story I wrote about this would have been when they were trying to get the White Sox to move here. And then it was uh, the Giants, the Twins, uh, the Rangers <laughs> were involved, an expansion team that went to Miami. Um, and then, obviously, uh, in 1995, March 9th, the Tampa Bay Rays franchise or Devil Rays franchise was awarded. And uh, it's been quite a ball game since. <laughs> uh, this is part of the reason why someday Mark will be making a speech in Cooperstown uh, at some point. He's he's one of the best for sure. Um, so let's dive into it with the Rays in 2024. How are they treating the Wanda Franco situation internally? Like, you know, their perspective on it, because they obviously have to wait for other events. But in the interim, how do they go about their business? Yeah, I think they're probably doing what what is the wise thing here, Buster, which is they are acting as if he's not a factor right now. He's not here. Eric Neander's kind of had a stock quote, which is their focus on the players who are in camp and healthy. But they're making other plans. They're assuming that uh, they won't have Wander. They obviously don't know. As you said, this is under the jurisdiction right now still of the Dominican Republic prosecutors. Uh, if and when they come to conclusion, then Major League Baseball has to have its say on this. So it would seem unlikely we would see Wander Franco on the field anytime soon. But they're just assuming as if he's not there. They've got, in fact, they went out and traded for Jose Caballero. Uh, they had Taylor Walls. He is recovering from some hip surgery. So they went out and got someone else. They've obviously got some young guys that can step in. We saw Slavis Basabe last year. They've got Junior Caminero, one of the best prospects in the majors who can play shortstop. 
They've got Carson Williams, one of the best players in the majors, a couple of years away. But for this season, they're acting like they don't have Wander. And then, look, if it somehow plays out, and I don't know what's going to happen, I don't think anyone does, that he is allowed to return. And if they welcome him back, then they added a player who obviously is a high-impact player. But they're, they're not waiting. They're not counting on him. They're not penciling him. He doesn't have a locker. He's still on the roster. That's the technicality. But they're acting as if he's not part of the team at this moment. You mentioned Junior Caminero. Uh, you know, he's 20 years old. He's one of the best prospects in baseball. What's his trajectory based on what you saw at the end of last year and what you've heard from inside the organization? Yeah, I mean, look, he, he was a guy they made a very rare move for them to call up a position player from double A. We were trying to think if they'd ever done that before. It may have been one guy in a, in a rare situation, uh, which they did at the end of last season. They needed some help. They had a bunch of guys get hurt. He was on the playoff roster. He is a tremendous offensive talent. I think the organization feels uh, pretty solidly that he needs some work defensively. I, I don't. I don't think he's going to start the season in the big leagues. I mean, that was probably part of the reason they went to go get Caballero. Now, look, he's also a good utility guy. So if Junior Caminero came in this spring and just showed the Rays he was ready. They're obviously an organization that's going to be respectful and look at that. But he hasn't played a Triple A yet. He's only played 81 games uh, in the minor leagues above the Class A level. As you say, he's 20 years old still. So I, I would expect he opens the year uh, at AAA, and then, you know, they'll see how this goes. Uh, he might be better at third base. I know he wants to be able to show he can play shortstop. Uh, but the bat is going to be what gets him uh, to the big leagues. He had a tremendous year last year, and if that bat's ready, they'll have to make an interesting decision at some point this year. I just don't think it'll be uh, March 28th. The Rays' success annually is built on how they are so good at fostering pitching. Uh, and again, they'll have the challenges with Tyler Glass now being traded with Shane McClanahan, you know, having had Tommy John surgery. Who are the pitchers who are going to step up that we're all going to learn about this year? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Zach Eflin you know, was a nice addition at this time last year. They had what I think we actually talked about on your podcast, maybe the best rotation in baseball with Springs, Rasmussen, Glasnow, Eflin, and McClanahan. And, and those guys never took one turn together the entire year wow. as injuries just tore that up. So uh, at this point, the way they're looking at it, there's, there's kind of three guys who are set. Zach Eflin, Aaron Savali, who they got from Cleveland at the deadline, and, and they feel was better than he showed as a Ray, which which wasn't very good statistically. And Zach Littell, one of the best stories uh, kind of unheralded last year, guy switched from being a fringy reliever uh, to being a key part of a rotation on 99-win teams. I think those three guys are set. They're going to go into camp thinking uh, Taj Bradley and Ryan Pepio, the kind of key guy in the trade of class now, uh, are going to win those other two spots. But they, they've got to do it. They're both young kids. Bradley was a rookie last year. He's still only 22. Pepio had some success last year but was hurt. It hasn't pitched a full season in the big leagues. If that doesn't work, the depth is probably interesting would be a good word. Uh, they got lefty Tyler Alexander from the Tigers. Look at him as a swing guy. They've got a lefty on the 40-man, Jacob Lopez. Uh, they've got Jacob Wagespach in camp. They're going to stretch him out. Chris Davinsky is a reliever. They're going to stretch him out. Um, they signed a Japanese pitcher, Uasawa, who has had a lot of success in Japan. So somewhere out of that group is, is the depth. But they don't have that like automatic, like the sixth guy. You know, like here's the five, and this guy would be the sixth guy. So that's going to have to shape itself out in spring training. They're not going to judge you know, Bradley and Pepio on results, but they've got to see and be convinced that they're ready and they have the confidence to be ready and pitch in the AL East. 
Well, maybe sometime in 2024, we might get a shovel in the ground for their ballpark, too. I mean, you and I have been talking about a shovel in the ground for how many years? Oh, my gosh. This goes back to 2007 when they announced the plan to uh, redo the beautiful uh, Al Lang Stadium, and that, that didn't work. And <laughs> I think we've seen four, four plans since then, so this is the latest. I should have kept all the little renderings, right, and had a little collage of all the renderings. Maybe I could dig those out. Well, if uh, if it ever happens, they should let you stick a shovel in the dirt as well, uh, given all the stories you've written. And you probably have deeper knowledge than anybody. All right, Mark, always great to talk with you. I always learn something. Anytime, Buster. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets. Hey, everyone. We appreciate you for always reaching out to us on our voicemail and dropping some amazing questions. If you want to leave a question in the future and have it read on the show, please leave a message at 406 406- 404-8460. And today we're going to kick it off with our friend Peyton. Hi, my name is uh, Peyton. I'm a teacher from Stoughton, Wisconsin. Big Cardinals fan here. So there's been a lot of uh, talk about the questionable leadership in the Cardinals clubhouse, Arenado and, and Goldschmidt. Any truth to that? What do you think? I don't know what to think personally as a Cardinals fan. I want them to be good leaders, but they're not. So my perception of the Cardinals is, I mean, first and foremost, the most important thing is they just have to have more effective pitching. You know, there there was not enough swing and miss with that pitching staff. There wasn't enough consistency. And so by signing, signing Sonny Gray and making other moves, they're trying to improve that part of the team. But I do think that last year, uh, as that season went into the tank, that it got harder for the veterans. And it's not that they weren't, you know, good leaders but I, I think that uh, that there were times when there were guys on that team that got discouraged and were frustrated and were overcome by that frustration. And you're seeing some of the quotes out of their camp this spring, essentially acknowledging, you know what, we could have handled last year better. We'll see if they're able to do that. And our next Bleacher Tweet message is from Mike. Hey, my name is Mike. Calling from Arizona. Just want to say I'm a big fan of the show. Just curious if the Yankees do end up signing Blake Snell to whatever deal they decide, do they run a six-man rotation? And who's the odd man out? And where would Blake Snell fall in the rotation? My guess is, Mike, is that they would go with a five-man rotation. I think that's what Garrett Cole is familiar with. That's what, uh, And usually teams will follow the, the lead of their ace. Um, you know, but I would say that we've seen in baseball more and more teams will build in extra rest for their starters. Um, and if Snell signed with the Yankees, he's going to want to have a big year. He's not going to want to be limited in how much he pitches. So my guess is they would stick with the five man rotation. Um, and you know, maybe one of the young guys would be the odd man out. Cause obviously they they would be paying Radon, they'd be paying Snell, they'd be paying Garrett Cole and you have Nestor Cortez and, you know, Clark Schmidt took a big step forward last year. And our next one is from Jace in Las Vegas. Hi, my name is Jace. I'm 13 years old and live in Las Vegas. My question today is, are the Yankees willing to sign Blake Snell? If not, who will be the next team of his interest? Yeah, Jace, thanks for your question. Uh, the Yankees are interested in signing Snell, but it, they've been going back and forth with agent Scott Boris during the wintertime uh, about, uh, you know, uh, about the how big this contract can be. You know, when you talk to club executives, they say that uh, the asking price for Snell was over $200 million when the offseason started. 
I think the you know the question about where he's going to land comes down to will Scott alter his asking price for Snell? Will he be more open to the idea of a short-term deal, you know, one or two years, or say, you know, a three-year contract where he can opt out after the first year? That that sort of structure, and who knows? I mean, Snell on a short-term contract would be the sort of pitcher that a lot of teams would have interest in, you know, whether it's Chicago Cubs, perhaps. And I, this is all speculation. I've mentioned in the past, I think he'd be a great fit for the Baltimore Orioles, given their payroll obligations and, and uh, you know, given how good they should be in 2024. And our next Bleacher tweet is from Brad in Chattanooga. This is Brad in Chattanooga. I'm a lifelong Angels fan. And the question I have for Buster is why I don't hear uh, anything about the real evolution of Mike Trout from a, a true five-tool player that could hit for average power, steel, uh, field, to someone who's a uh, feast or famine. I think it has a lot to do with the multiple injuries he's accumulated over time, uh, has gained a lot of weight, although albeit much of it is muscle, but he really transformed his body, um, I think, took a real step back on his game, and that doesn't seem to be talked about when talking about Mike Trout. I wonder if you have a, a thought on why. Yeah, and it is interesting. We've seen Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees train during this offseason to slim down. In other words, figuring that uh, you know less is more on his body because he's had all these injuries. And, and look, Mike is naturally big. <laughs> I remember the first time I met him, you're like, holy crap, someone who's that fast who probably could be a, a safety in the NFL weighs 230, 240 pounds. He's always been bigger. I've wondered as time goes on, would that change? Uh, would he decide one offseason, you know what, I'm going to work like crazy to drop 15 pounds uh, to help me, you know, maybe give me a different trajectory staying on the field. But it's hard to get a read on that in part because he's had so many different types of injuries. It's not like he's got one chronic problem. Uh, I am going to be interested moving forward. It can't happen for 2024 if we see him do the same sort of adjustment that uh, Stanton is trying to do this year. And that wraps up our Bleacher Tweets for today. You know, Buster, it's been really cool to hear fans from all across the country, yeah. from Alaska, from Tennessee to Vermont, you know, and having people call in and uh, get their questions answered. So, you know, for the next show, if you have some time, feel free to leave us a message at 406-404-8460. We would love to hear from you. Yeah. With all due respect to Taylor, who did a great job of reading the Bleacher Tweets, it's really cool to hear the voices of the people who listen. For sure. You know, uh yeah, it, uh, it's really neat. And thank you, Sean. First week in the books. Hey, man, we did it. I appreciate you helping me uh, steer the ship along. And uh, I'm looking forward to many more. All right. Uh, my thanks today also to Mark Topkin, to Mark Bowman, to Eduardo Perez, to Sarah Langs. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.